0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. And you're ready to go. All right. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. So hopefully it doesn't freak out. What? Oh, okay. Well, we'll get it straight. No problem. So, um, I don't know who he was talking about. (laughs) Uh, My name is Michael Crawford. That much is true. I do have some of those positions. That much is true as well. Uh, But I'm very humbled by what your pastor said. And uh, it's true. I met him a while ago. You know, God brought me with my wife. She's here, Danielle, and our five children from uh, sunny and warm California. (laughs) Uh, to Baltimore in the summer of 2009 to plant Freedom Church and by God's grace we were able to plant Freedom Church and Freedom Pl- Church has planted, Freedom Church Windsor Mill and Windsor Mill has planted Love Light City Church uh, in, um, in the Glen Burnie type area down there and, uh, and, and, and that was one thing and the other thing God brought me here to do was to invest in black men I don't think you guys realize he's black. Yes, <laughs> that is not a white man right there. And, uh, and for those of you who are online or those of you who are here, and, uh, and I'm sorry to inform your wife today. She already knows. Right? I know your kids know. <laughs> um, so, no, Matthew has been a blessing to me as well. And everything he said about me, I could say about him. He is a true treasure he really is and you know as Matthew said sometimes you God calls you to do something and you do it and we all have a Gideon in us where we're like yeah Lord is this really what it is and brother you are a confirmation for me in days when I've said man it really is cold here and I know some of you guys like that but I don't (laughs) and I like the sun and stuff and it's like but but knowing that there are men like Matthew that have played such a small little percentage in serving them has been a blessing to me. And I'm not just thankful for Matthew, but I'm thankful for this church uh, because I get to hear about what you guys are doing. And what you guys don't know is that a lot of people know about you guys. You guys are notorious. <laughs> in a good way, for good things. <laughs> That's right, you know, I mean, you, you read the New Testament and, and you know that in the early days without Facebook and social media and phones at text and FaceTime and Zoom and all these types of things, there was still this interconnectivity of churches. So Matthew goes around and he meets with pastors and all that kind of stuff, but people talk about churches and this is a church that is well talked about. Uh, in the organization that I work for, the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, there are over 400 churches, you're well known. And with the Sin network of thousands and thousands of churches, not only in the Northeast, but all across America, uh, you're well known. And so I was recently in Alpharetta and I uh, was with some of my bosses and one of the mass. hey, how's that Robinson kid doing? I said, he's great. He's great. He's driving me crazy, but he's great. <laughs> you know, Matthew, he's great. So I just want to encourage you guys because as a body, you guys are sacrificing and you're giving and you're serving, and you're attending, and, and sometimes you may feel like, wh- like, is this doing anything? It's doing something. There are, at very least, there are other churches being encouraged by what you're doing. Amen. And the thing is, is you'll probably never hear about it, and, and that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Our, our notoriety comes at the end, not in the middle, right? <laughs> Isn't that right? Right? We don't don't go pray in the streets because then you get your reward from the streets. You pray in the closet and then you get reward from your Father in heaven. And so I want to encourage you guys, everybody here who attends, everybody online, everybody who's giving, everyone who's praying, everyone's trying to find their place in this body to serve and get behind the mission of this church, which is to encourage all of y'all who are here and serve you and love you and walk with you, but also to reach more people who aren't here. Like, that's really cool, and it's seen and known. So thank you for what you guys are doing. I'd like to pray, and then I'm going to speak for a few moments on the Bible, the past, and you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that um, in your name, that beautiful name that we sang about, we are one people, one family from all different types of backgrounds. And God, we wouldn't be here if you had not called us and kept us, and continue to forgive us and restore us and reconcile us. We're reminded uh, today through the worship where our souls are again reminded of who you are and what you've done for us and what you continue to do in us and through us. We, We would be remiss not to pray for our president and his cabinet and the senate and the congress and the judicial branch lord you've asked us to pray for those in authority and we pray for those who need repentance that they would repent that they would have courage and that they would steward your authority well and, and that they wouldn't be um, susceptible to peer pressure and, and cultural wickedness and, and that they would do your will in those positions. We pray for our governor and our mayors and all of those people in authority, God. We, we, we love you and we want them to meet you and we want those who are saved to be encouraged and to grow. Lord, our only hope in this nation and in this region is you. You are our hope. And we want to pray for the churches around here and all throughout our city and region. Every church that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, that opens the Bible, that prays to you, that believes that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Would you strengthen the churches, God? Would you awaken the churches? Would you revive us? Would you renew? Would you cause a movement to run through our churches that we might see many more people meeting you and saved and baptized and and in the way of a disciple. Uh, Lord, we, we ask you now to open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and that if there are any things that are in the way, you would remove those things. Spirit, come. We can't do what you do. You do what you do. You can convict and strengthen and confirm and heal And open up eyes. You can even call. May we hear your voice today, Lord Jesus. You are a prophet, a priest, and a king. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want you to leave here educated and equipped and encouraged. Educated because I hope uh, not to necessarily teach anything new because you've got a great pastor who studies the Bible. But, but, but maybe at an angle or two that you may have not considered from the Word. So so a little bit of education, but some equipping, too, because you need tools when you have to deal with your past because the past is a beast. Yeah. Yeah. The past be creeping on you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times what happens with our past, especially in Christian circles, is we, like, put some, like, verse Band-Aids on that joint or a little Neosporin on that joint, but that stuff be wearing out. You know, you take Advil and you got to take it again. Uh, what I hope to do this morning is give, equip you with something you already know, but just again hopefully to remind you of the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God in Christ Jesus yes. as it applies to your past, yes. and then that you might be encouraged because if you're anything like me, and and maybe you guys are long down the road and you guys are really super holy, but like for me... Um, Probably the dominant thing that is prone to drag me is when I start thinking about back there. And the thing about back there is I already had a funeral for all these joints, and they still keep coming out of the grave. You ever experience that? You know, you feel like, Lord, I confessed that. I dealt with that. And that joint resurrects, and you find it up in your life all over again. You go, what are you doing here? I thought we prayed about this. I thought we put the word on this. I got counseling for this. And sometimes you find that your past is inescapable. You know, the Bible is a book about the past. It begins, in the beginning, God. It's a book about the past. I know sometimes we get very narcissistic and think, oh, no, God wrote it just for me. Actually, he wrote it for billions and billions and billions of people. But it's a book about the past that details how we got here, what we were supposed to be, Why things are so jacked up, Genesis 3, the presence of sin and distortion, and how God's going to fix it, the sending of the Son of God who was born a virgin, who lived a righteous life, who died on the cross and was raised from the dead, who sits at the right hand of God, who sent the Spirit, who enables us to have communion with him through the Son, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life, right? And then how it's all going to end, but that story is mainly rooted in the past. The Bible is a historical document. And, you know, when liberals read the Bible, they get this, but sometimes Christians, we don't get this. Like, when they read it, they're like, wait, this book's so old. You guys are reading stuff written like 3,000 years ago and acting like it's for today. And we're like, yep, right? And, and the reality of it is, is, is brothers and sisters, Our Bible is a historical document, so this idea of the Bible and the past and you should be very familiar for us. We should be like, yeah. Like, everything we believe is rooted on something that happened. I'm saved because Jesus died. Not because he's dying. He died. It's done. It's finished. I'm saved because he was resurrected. I'm saved because he actually sits at the right hand of God. Our whole gospel is the good news of Christ coming into the world to save real sinners like us and like me. Real sinners, not just church-going people, but like people who really sin, who have a really gracious God. And that's a historical fact. Now, as I said before, the past is very, very powerful. It's very shaping. And... You know, it shows up in our present. And so what we tend to do is because we're, we're prone to distortion, right? Like right now, we're, we live in a really like outrage culture. That's a that's a distortion where everyone's like, ah, you microaggressed and I'm so offended. Like that's how we are. We're always going like this. And the reason why we're like that is because that's exactly what sin does. It's the missing of the mark. It's in the day you eat, You'll be like God. No, eating fruit doesn't make you like God. That's kind of an exaggeration. But the other bad thing is diminishment. Actually, the day you eat, you won't die. That's not true either, (laughs) right? Satan sold two lies. He sold an exaggeration. If you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. That's called an exaggeration. Then he said, but if you eat the fruit, you won't die. God said you would, but you won't. That's a diminishment. What we tend to do with the past is exaggerate it or diminish it. Now, the world tends to exaggerate the past. They can never get past it. Oh, this and this and this and this happened to you? Well, then that's who you're going to be. You can't ever escape the past. And the gospel comes and says, no, nah, I, can, I can work in that. I can renew that. But the church tends to diminish the past. Now, sometimes we have good reasons. One, because we respond to the world, which we, we got to get out of that habit, right? Uh, the Bible's response is not always the exact opposite of what the world's doing, right? Um, so sometimes the church diminishes the past and, and kind of placates and says, no, it's really not that big of a deal, right? And sometimes we think, well, you know, doesn't the Bible say that if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation, behold, all things... Or new, I'm gonna show you some some stuff today. That's true from a spiritual soteriological salvation sense. But last time I checked, my name's still Michael Crawford. Right? And all of those things I did, God has used to make me into who I am today. Right? I'm gonna show you this. This is real exciting. So so let's let's take a look at the past. And, and here's, here's kind of my thesis, or right? I'm trying to boil this down. I believe what the Bible teaches concerning the Bible, the past, in you is this. Your past needs to be both redeemed and sanctified. And those are two different things. When we talk about redeemed, we mean like forgiven, saved, right? It is finished. You trust in Christ for your past, everything that's happened. You say, no, Lord, I give that all to you. As Pastor Matt said, no, I'm just giving it all to you, right? That's redemption. But sanctification is when God, yes, can you open that door to your past? Oh, no, Lord, that's done. No, open the door. I want to go in there because I got to do some healing. I got to do some reconciliation. I got to do some formation because I'm not just going to leave it in this storage of forgiveness creeping out a little stink every now and then. No, I'm going to go in there and reformat that joint so it works for you and not against you. All right, let me show you this in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to show you this from three people, Paul, and then we're going to look at Jacob, and then we're going to look at Joseph, right? So look at Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am who I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. All right, so think about this. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. Stop. Wait a second. What do what you talk about, Paul? Well, in this context, Paul is discussing the relevance and the truthfulness of the resurrection. This is a common text we read during Easter season. We should probably do it more than that because it wasn't Easter when he wrote it, right? So it's really relevant. In the midst of saying, look, he appeared to this person and that person, and last of all, he appeared to me, it's really clear that he's risen from the dead. There are over 500 people who saw him. You can go to jail if one person saw you. 500 people saw Jesus. And Paul says, and last he appeared to me. And then he says this remarkable statement, verse 9. But I am the least of the apostles not worthy to be called an apostle because I, watch the tense, persecuted the church of God. What? Wait a second. Didn't you write, for by grace we are saved? Not of works, but through faith. Yeah. Didn't you write there's therefore no condemnation in Christ? Yeah. Uh, uh, didn't you write that salvation, justification by faith alone? Not about works? Yes. Then what are you talking about here? You actually, Paul, feel like you're not worthy to be called an apostle? Yeah. And that you're the least of the apostles? Yeah. But, Paul, didn't you write like 13 books and... Start the whole church planting missional movement, yeah. And like outside of Jesus, you're like the biggest missional beast in human history. Like we're all here because of Paul. He was a, he was a, he was a missionary and apostle to the Gentiles. He was serving us 2,000 years ago where the Jewish church are like, we ain't messing with them. They don't eat like we eat. They don't keep our laws. They're, they're, they're anathema. And Paul's like, I'm going to them. I'm going to preach the gospel to people like Michael Crawford because Jesus told me to. So how do you say you're the least and how do you say you're not worthy to be called? He tells you in verse 9, because of what I did. Well, what did you do? I persecuted the church. Oh, Paul. No, I I persecuted the church. Well, Paul, how bad was it? Well, in Galatians chapter 1, I said that I persecuted them beyond measure. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible says that he, he got authority, he got authority papers from the authorities, and he went house to house. And you can read it on your own in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, dragging men and women off to prison. In Acts chapter 7, he held the cloaks and the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, the first martyr in the church. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, he did a King Kong and said, ain't nobody more Jewish than me. Because y'all all kept the law, but I went over and above the law in persecuting its enemies, which was the church. Right? And 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, I'm the greatest sinner because I went to the greatest extent, even killing Christians. You say, what's your point? My point is, here is a mature Christian who physically And literally was with Jesus in person. And when he writes a letter to a church, his past is doing what? Showing up in his present. So whenever a Christian says to me, oh, man, Pastor, I don't worry about my past. It's behind me. I'd be like, you lying. It sounds so good, but you lying. You a liar. Because what you're telling me is, is you're holier than Paul. You're more sanctified than Paul. You're a more mature Christian than Paul. You're, you're ahead of Paul. That's impossible. That's literally impossible. This guy was an um he was he was a top-tier Christian if we could speak that way. And so what he says is, look, I shouldn't have been called an apostle because of what I did. So here's the thing. So Paul, like, your past still bothers you? Yeah. You still think about it sometimes? Yep. And how do you feel about it? Really bad. So, but like, how does it practically affect you? Like when I'm laying there thinking, man, I should go to Ephesus today and preach, I'm like, I shouldn't go over there, man. I was killing Christians. How am I going to go preach to them? Paul, do you still hear the screams of those men and women? Yeah. Have you ever had a nightmare about the children when they were screaming? Because when the Bible says he dragged men and women, the inference is there were children there. You know when Paul gets, you know he, he 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 aids and abeds in Stephen's murder in chapter seven and chapter eight. He ravages the church, right? And the, he was the cause for the for the splintering of the church. <laughs> like that's why the Christians stopped meeting in Jerusalem. That was his fault. He was like the pandemic. Why they all said we're out of here. In Acts chapter nine, he meets Jesus. He gets saved. He goes up to the church. He goes, guys, I got saved. They were like, nah, we ain't playing with you. Read it for yourself. Acts 9, 26, it says he tried to join the disciples, but they didn't believe he was a disciple. You can't be that evil, and God can't be that good. Your past is so bad, God can't forgive it. Your past is so bad, wait a minute, you talking about you not only saved, and you're a preacher, and you're an apostle, and you wanna start churches? You done lost your mind. What's the modern day equivalent? That'd be like a terrorist like Osama bin Laden saying, I got saved. We'd be like, oh, come on, man. You just want to come to the United States, you know what I mean? You want to do some more stuff and you want us to forgive you. I mean, it's an equivalent to some terrorist saying, you know what? I, I, I know I used to kill people, but now I love people and I want to preach the gospel and I want to build the church. What a mirror into the past. But remember I said redeem and sanctified. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What he does is he says, now look, I feel like I'm not worthy. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Listen what he says. He says, Look, um, I realized that my past was not only redeemed, but my past was sanctified. Like God was working in me. Let me ask you a question. You remember when Jesus met that woman and uh, she was a prostitute? And the Pharisees were like, if he was a real prophet, you know, he wouldn't let her touch him. And, 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 then, and then Jesus told him a parable and said, Simon, you know, if someone owes $10 and someone owes $100, and they get forgiven, which one will love more? And they go, well, I suppose the one that got forgiving more. And he says, exactly. You see, Paul was so zealous about Jesus because he was always conscious of what he did. He was like, you know what, man, I shouldn't even be here. And see, one of the problems is we like to bury our past, but not gospel-wise. Your past can work for you. You show me the believers in this room and online and in this area that are really humming for the Lord, I guarantee you they, they ain't going, I ain't thinking about my past. They, they, they feel like Paul. They're going, in in light of what I did and the stuff I was in, for me to be covered in the blood, are you nuts? And they get zealous, but by God's grace. Let me show you another character. Now, this guy is Jacob. This is Genesis chapter 47. Now, Jacob is an illustration of a guy who did not do well with his past. He didn't do well with his past. He did not do what Paul did. He didn't receive God's grace and then have it redeemed and sanctified. He stewed on his past. And honestly, not to be too hard on Jacob, Jacob is where a lot of Christians are but we have so much Christianity. I mean, we got Chick-fil-A and we got, you know, we got our freedom of rights and the government's protecting us. we got all this stuff. We hide in all these like bushes and fig leaves of Christianity and all this stuff. So it's, it's, it's harder for us to be detected. But really, a lot of us are where Jacob is. Let, let's read this. Jacob said to Pharaoh, um, sorry, beginning verse 7, Joseph then brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? In verse 9 of Genesis 47, Jacob said to Pharaoh, my pilgrimage has lasted 130 years. Watch this. My years have been few and hard and they have not reached the years of my fathers during their pilgrimage. So, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and, and departed from Pharaoh's presence. So what's going on here? Well, Some of you know the story that uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and uh, he played favorites to his youngest one, Joseph. The other kids got mad, trafficked him into slavery. He went down to Egypt, but God was with him, he became a beast in, 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 in Egypt, and he became second in command. And then there was a famine where Jacob and the 11 were, and he looks at his sons who are standing around going, I don't know what to do. They're playing video games. And he's like, hey, there's corn in Egypt. Go down there and get some corn or we're going to die. So they go down there, and then they meet their brother. They're like, yo, this is awesome. And we're so dead. <laughs> Our caught up to us because we lied and said an animal killed him. So then they go home, fast-forwarding through the story. You can read it for yourself. And they get dad and they get the 120-some-odd people and they bring all this Jewish constituency up there And they go, wow, this is amazing. And Joseph is beast in this place. And Pharaoh's like, he has all control, all authority. I'm just over here. And he runs everything, and he's got our economy, and we're like the superpower of the world, and this is the most powerful man in the world, Joseph, the Jew that you trafficked. So then the unthinkable happens. Joseph's like, Pharaoh, I, I, I want you to meet my family, which wasn't cool then because Jews had no dealings with Egyptians. There was racism back there. But Pharaoh makes an exception and comes in to meet Joseph's family. And Pharaoh says to his dad, Joseph's dad, hey, man, how old are you? Now reread this answer. My pilgrimage has lasted 130 years. That's where it should have stopped. If I walk up to some of you guys afterwards and say, how old are you, you'll probably think, man, you're rude. How dare you ask me that question, right? But if I ask you how old, your answer is going to be none of your business or 50-something or whatever, right? But if you ask me, oh, how old are you? And I said, 53, about to be 54, and let me tell you, man, my life sucks, man. <laughs> man, my brothers and sisters, their lives were so much better, My dad had all these high hopes for me. About then, you'd be be like, hey, Pastor Matt, didn't you need me to clean the bathrooms? Like, yeah, I was supposed to like, uh, you know, that's good, brother, it's good to have you, Pastor Mike, it's so good, I'll be praying for you. You're like, dude, I'm not Oprah, there ain't a couch. I just asked a simple question. How old are you? That is not the green light to start telling me about all your woes, but watch this. Jacob's past was so weighing heavy on him that all it took was a crack in his relational door for it to seep out. How old are you? Oh, let me tell you. I'm 130, but the years of my pilgrimage, what does he say? Few and hard. How do you say your years are few when you're 130? Watch this. Because when you're suffering, it's like, The suffering is grabbing your time and gobbling it up like Pac-Man. You know, you're just suffering. You're like, I have no time to do anything because he's suffering. And then he says hard. Some versions say evil. Now, quickly, before we get too hard on Jacob, you remember that Jacob had a brother. Anybody remember what Jacob's brother's name is? Oh, Esau, right? And they were twins, right? You remember they were in the womb, right? What were they doing in the womb? They were fighting in the womb. Okay, now watch this. So they're fighting in the womb. And then remember when it came time to come out, they were still fighting. And then they finally came out. It's like, yeah, we have a baby shower, We have twins. All right. And it's so great. And then they came out. And then they had this great family, right? Wrong. Because dad liked Esau and mom liked Jacob. And one day, it was time to confer the family blessing and Esau went out to do what he does. You know, he was a rifle guy, NRA guy, you know what I'm saying? He went out there to go hunt and skin and kill and stuff, you know what I'm saying? And make some food for his pops because he was about to get all the family blessings, and, you know what I mean? The escrows and the, and the titles and, and, and all those types of things. And Mons was like, psst, psst, called over Jacob. And Jacob had his Jordans on, you know what I mean, his skinny jeans, you know what I mean? Because he didn't mess with the outdoor stuff. He was, he was on his laptop, and he's like, look, we got to steal the blessing. I'm making some stuff up. This is basically what happened. Moms was like, we're going to go into his closet, and you're going to put on his Wrangler jeans, and you're going to, you know what I'm saying, put some whatever ammo on you or whatever, you know what I'm saying, get some stuff, and I want you to smell like him because your dad can't really and we're going to deceive your dad so you can steal his blessing. And he did it. And then Esau wanted to kill him. And then he had to flee. And then Esau chased him. And then he found himself one place. He showed up this one place, and he saw this beautiful woman. And he wanted to marry her. And it was great. And the dad said, work seven years. I'll give it to her. He worked seven years, and he gave it to her, and he went in the tent, and he made love to her, and he woke up the next morning. It was her sister. <laughs> and he wouldn't say, yo, what the heck happened? He goes, oh, we have a rule. We have to marry off the firstborn first. If you want her, you have to serve another seven years. And he did it. <laughs> and he gets her, and everything's cool, Right. No, because she, the firstborn, is having all these kids, and Rachel can't have any kids. And in Genesis chapter 30, Rachel comes to Jacob and says, give me children or I die. Now, if you walked into your counseling appointment tomorrow, and you said to your therapist, give me kids or I die, your counselor would go, suicidal ideation, we need to send you to a psychiatrist, I'm very concerned. When did this start? You know, please don't harm yourself. See, we be reading the Bible. We don't be reading the Bible. This woman said to her husband, if you don't give me kids, I'm going to off myself. To which he responds, am I in the place of God to open up your womb? So then God does open up her womb. And he ends up with these seven kids, uh, six more kids. And he ends up with 12 kids. And now everything's great, right? No, his kids are fighting because he's repeating what his father did his father had a favorite now he has a favorite his favorites joseph and then one day they come home and they present him with joseph garment with blood on it and they say your son was eaten and the bible says his life left him that's what the hebrew text literally says his life literally went out of him and you can talk to sociologists and psychiatrists and, and and any other ologist about what it's like for a parent to lose a child and they will tell you it's the most grievous pain ever Ever. My wife and I know a woman who lost her husband in the war, and, and, and she's like, losing a child is just, just awful. It's so hard. This is his life. So finally, his kids come back and go, Dad, guess what? We found some corn, and you won't believe this Joseph's alive. Y'all told me he was eaten by an animal, and you showed me his joint. Well, we don't know what happened. We were sure he was dead. So he finally ends up in Egypt and he's finding out all these truths. And he's sitting there thinking, every one of you fools lied to me. Every single one of you lied to me. You told me my son was dead and he was alive this whole time. And then Pharaoh comes in. Big Pharaoh comes in. Pharaoh's in. Him. He walks up to Jacob. Jacob, how are you? You know, we're not even supposed to be doing this because you guys are slaves, but, you know, Joseph's cool, so I'm here. Um, I don't know. How old are you? And Jacob goes, I'm 130. My years have been like this, and they've been hard, and they're not like my parents or my grandparents' life. My life's been very, Very difficult. You think, why isn't he happy? He's got the money and the food, and he's got Joseph and his son. You're not happy because when he looks out, all he sees is lies, dysfunction, fighting from the womb. His whole life has been a war. I've been fighting since I was in the womb. And there's people in this room who go like, that kind of sounds like my story. Well, he was like, tell me about your childhood. You're like, no, I don't want to talk about that. Like my mom was tripping, my dad was tripping, both of them tripping. I didn't have parents. I was abused sexually, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was adopted. I was like, we go through all this stuff. And what, 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 what Jacob is simply trying to do, brothers and sisters, is sum it all up and say, my life's been really, really hard. And it's interesting that Pharaoh's like, peace out. There's no more discussion. He's like, I'm out of here. And that's a simple question. Jacob is an illustration of a man who went through a lot, but it seems like he never got God and his past and had a wedding ceremony. And said, Lord, I don't think I should have been fighting in the womb. I think I should have been like rejoicing like John the Baptist. Lord, I don't think my mom should have led me to deceive my father. Lord, I don't think my brother should have wanted to kill me. Lord, that guy who made me work 14 years, he deceived me. And then my wife was crazy. Like, and then I have all these kids, and then they lie to me. Like, this ain't cool. I know I'm supposed to be happy. I know I'm supposed to be happy. And I know you're good, God. And I know who you are. And I wrestle with you. And I got a limp hip. But my life has been tough. And I see all these people walking around smiling and praising Jesus and all this stuff. But me, y'all don't know. Y'all got a bunch of Hillsong in your backpack, you know what I'm saying, and some Chick-fil-A in that joint. I open up my backpack, scars, wounds, wars, losses, death, abuse, fighting. Let me show you one last person. This person is Jacob. Oh, sorry, Joseph. Now, Joseph is a picture of everything we've been talking about. We'll end right here. Redemption and sanctification. We pick up in verse 15 of Genesis 50. Now, in this text is a very famous text, but I hope it's going to really jump out to you in context, right? Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. Now, y'all agree with that, right? I mean, anybody have a problem with that logic? Okay, uh, dad's dead. Um, If he's holding a grudge, the assumption is he probably is. I mean, we, we really messed him up. We lured him out, threw him in a pit that he couldn't crawl out of, debated on killing him, which he heard all that. And then when some Egyptians came by, people who were just buying and selling property, we sold him like a piece of China. And then he went to Egypt, and life wasn't great at first. He was lied on and forgotten by a butler and a baker, when he got out, he was in the house, and Potiphar's wife lied on him and threw him back in jail. Joseph didn't go from, from it was, it was like a lifetime movie. He suffered a lot. And now he's on the top, and he has absolute authority. There's no Supreme Court, no Congress. He is the monarch. All he has to say is, bring them fools up and hang them. If he holds a grudge against us, he will what? certainly repay us. Now watch this. They're assuming what we all assume. There ain't no way that God and Joseph sat down through all of Joseph's suffering and got that all worked out. Because we never did it. Nowhere in the Genesis narrative do you read the brothers going, hey, Joseph, we're really sorry about what we did. Nowhere in the Genesis narrative do you ever read of them going to their dad saying, hey, dad, we need to talk to you about something. We're we're really convicted. We lied about this. Nowhere. So what they were trying to do with their past is just cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. So here's the assumption. Watch verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph before he died. Your father gave a command, not a lion again. Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So now they line again. Dad never wrote this letter, right? He never wrote the letter. This is how they deal with their past. Always a scheme. Always a mechanism. Always, I can't trust God with this. I can't do that. that unbelievable. That that's unbelievable. No way God could work it out. Let me take this into my own hands and manipulate this. Now, here's the craziest thing in the world. What does the Bible say Joseph did when he got the message? He wept. Now, you know, if I was (laughs) Joseph, I would have been like, I know for sure dad ain't wrote no letter like that. Y'all lying again. I don't think I would have wept. What does weeping tell you about him? What does it tell you about his heart? Something happened, didn't it? Their assumption, we wronged you, you're holding a grudge, you're gonna pay us back. That's that's classic math. You experienced that probably on on the norm in life, right? We're not supposed to as believers, but we do. Joseph's like, no, something happened with my past. That's the difference between us. Not that I'm better. It's just that me and God got with my past. So when you write me a letter like this, I'm not like, yep, and I got five ways I'm going to kill every single one of you fools. He's like, that breaks my heart that you guys had to go to this level. Now, it gets even better. Watch this. In verse 18, his brothers also come to him, bow down before him and said, we're your slaves. (laughs) What? 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 Look at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. See, if I was with Joseph right there, I would have said, shh, don't say that. Like, just pause. Don't say nothing. Pause. Just let them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're your slaves. Like, shh, don't say nothing. Just let them stay there for a bit. Kill on vengeance. Forgive you. Pay some penance down there. That's right. Get you. First thing out of Joseph's mouth is don't be afraid. What? Why would he say that? Because they are. Because they think he's going to kill them. And he realizes they're afraid. What does the gospel do? Don't be afraid. Fear not, I'm with you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to restore you. I'm here to reunite you. I'm here to make everything new. Those things aren't greater than my present mercy. Don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? Joseph went to school with the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you something else. When people do me wrong, I am in God's place. I'm God's justice. Right? So I'm driving down the road, somebody does something to me. Guess what? I'm God's messenger. It's my duty to let you know of how bad you were. It's my duty to let you know how wrong you are and to punish you. That's not what Joseph said. Joseph said, wait a minute. I have a place and God has a place. I know my place and I know God's place. To truly be a disciple of Jesus, a believer, is to know your place. This is why in Romans 12 it says, leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is who, says the Lord? Mind, It's not our place to be vindictive, brothers and sisters. It's not our place to punish people. That's not gospel. And Joseph got that. Verse 20, you planned evil against me. I'm gonna read that again. You planned evil against me. It was premeditated. In other words, if Joseph's brothers went to court, it would have been felon one. Felon one means it's premeditated. Felon two means you start pushing and shoving and someone hits somebody. Felon three is it's just an accident. You were reading your phone when you shouldn't have been, and you hit somebody on a bike. It was planned. You planned evil against me, but watch this. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Do you see this? Do you remember what I said? The way we should deal with our past is not just redemption, but sanctification. Do you see this? Joseph is now looking at his past through the lens of the gospel. He's not saying it wasn't bad. He goes, no, you actually wanted to hurt me, and you did. But thank God his grace is greater than your hurt. Thank God that his plans are more powerful than your plans. Thank God that his mercy can go places that your evil cannot go. Yes. And what's happened in this text and with Joseph's life is, he's absorbed this evil, but God has redeemed it and sanctified it. And he says, so now a lot of people are going to be kept alive. Now, if Joseph would have slaughtered them all and done all this stuff, it would have forfeited God's promises and his plans. Verse 21, this is unbelievable, what he says in verse 21. Therefore... Don't be afraid. How many times have he told them not to be afraid? Twice. That's a gracious, merciful soul. I don't know that my soul has ever reached these mountains, brothers and sisters. Twice he tells them, Don't be afraid. You know what fear does in the soul? It separates you from the people you love. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They ate the fruit. They knew they were naked. What did they do? So fig leaves. Hide in the where? In the bushes. When God came, what did they do? They hid. Why? Where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? We're afraid. Joseph knew that their fear of his punishment would separate them. So he's constantly saying, please don't be afraid. And then look what he says. And tell me if this doesn't sound like the gospel. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That sounds a lot like Jesus. That sounds a lot like the gospel. And so I would ask you in closing, like where where are you at with your past? Have you like gone to the ER and gotten your little Band-Aid and your little thing and then you just go out running and then you realize, you know what, like, Something's still off. something's not right. Something's not right. In the case of Paul and Joseph, we don't see people who have forgotten about their past. We see people whose past have been forgiven. They've been redeemed and sanctified and used. y'all see that. Where are you at with your past? Are you just sliding it into the mayu of Christianity and hiding it somewhere? Or, or, or have you ever just said, Lord, I'm bringing it all out on the table? The stuff people know, the stuff people don't know. It's all there. And I'm again going to lay it at the foot of the cross. And you know what you hear when you bring your past to God? I love you. Don't be afraid, you are forgiven. My mercy covers it all. From everlasting to everlasting, I'm God. There's nothing you've ever done, and there's nothing that's ever been done to you that can kind of cancel you out. And the story of Joseph is a story to say, man, you know what? It's almost like all these bad things that happened to him, God used those things to retrofit him and to encourage him and to equip him and put him in a position to where he could serve even more effectively. Where are you at with your past? I wanna encourage you to get like childish with your past. You know kids when they're like two or three and you give them a blank piece of paper and some crayons, what do they do? They grab the crayon all weird and they like this and then they, they bring the paper to you. Some of you guys are trying to be architects and engineers with your life, trying to clean it all up, make it all presentable. And God's like, I know you're a mess. I know you're hurting. I know evil things have been done to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, it's light, and take my burden, it's good. I want to encourage you with the true gospel which is able to minister to your past and able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ever imagine with your past. Let me close with this. The way I got saved is I was suicidal. I was a black man on a beach in the west of California with a piece of paper, with a notebook, planning on how to kill myself. That's where I was. The reason why I was there was because I tried to date a white girl who was Jewish, and her mom and dad wouldn't let me, and they told me, you're black, it ain't going to work. I left that house. I was very angry. I was angry at God, and I hated white people. I joined the black consciousness movement. and It was just my goal in life to be a rapper, became a rapper. I just wanted to make a lot of money and stick it to the white man. I was angry. And when everything fell apart, music gone, it's all about, I was like, I don't have any reason to live. And they're on the beach, writing these notes of what I'm gonna do to take my life. But at that time, my brother had been talking to me about Jesus, so I went to a bookstore. We used to have bookstores back then, and we would like buy books, and they cut down trees and make books, but they don't do that anymore. And we went to a bookstore, and I got like a physical Bible, like one with pages, and I brought the Bible, and I said, you know, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read the Bible, and then when I kill myself, And I stand before God. He's going to go, why should I let you in? And I would say, I read the Bible, which is not a good answer. But it was the only answer I knew. When I started reading the Bible, I started reading about Jesus. And I saw how Jesus would forgive people and love people and accept people with bad pasts, horrible pasts, just unconditionally. Come here. I'll love you. I'll clean you up. I'll work with you. And I saw him take people with jacked up past and use them. And I said, that's me. I can identify with that. Could you possibly do that with me? In The summer of 1987, all by myself, no sin network, no titles, no churches, no nothing. Jesus saved me in my bedroom with me and a Bible. And I'm telling you that today because in a crowd this big, statistics say somebody in here thought about this week, online or here, Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe it'd be better if I was gone. And the reason why you think about that is because you think about your past. And I'm here to tell you that God can renew your past. He can reconcile your past and forgive your past and God can use your past. And Satan doesn't want you to hear that. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be healed. Today is the day to bring your past to God and say, God, do more with it than I can ever think. Use it in my life. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for watching and joining us for Our Church Online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week. And God bless. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at BethlehemChurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.